Hey, everybody. I'm coming up on 400 episodes, which is a lot. Uh, and I hope you will come celebrate with me. I'm doing a special live program uh, at the Dynasty Typewriter Theater to celebrate 400 episodes. Let me tell you this. When I did 300, I did a live show. And to this day, I still feel guilty that it was like 16 white guys and two women and one person of color. And that's not great. Uh, and this was a couple years ago. So I'm trying to correct that with number 400 or at least apologize for it. But as it happens, I have the most amazing lineup of writers, including but not limited to Monica Breen, who's doing the Buffy remake, reboot. It's a remake. It's an extension of the brand. She put out a great uh, tweet about it, which you should go look for. Um, Alexandra Cunningham, who's doing the Dirty John TV show based on the hit podcast. Uh, Carly Ray, who worked on Westworld and uh, Mindhunter, which is a great show. And she also was doing one of these Game of Thrones spinoff uh, for HBO, which who knows if that is happening. Um, who else? Angela Kang, who's the showrunner for The Walking Dead. Jenny Hutchison, who has been on Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, and she's doing the Welcome to Night Vale series. If you listen to the uh, episode with Chernold Edwards and Christine Boylan, uh, both of them are going to be back because uh, that was such a great conversation. I wanted to talk more with them. This is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, it's going to be at the Dynasty Typewriter Theater on Sunday, the 26th of August. We're doing a double feature. We're doing my 400th episode at 6 p.m. And then at 8 p.m., uh, my friend Matt Gorley is doing a live I Was There Too, featuring some of the murder victims in Friday the 13th, uh, as well as Paul Rust, uh, who is a big Friday the 13th fan. So that is on the 26th of August, Dynasty Typewriter Theater. Go to DynastyTypewriter.com or follow me on Twitter at Ben Blacker for details. Forever. Dog. We have a really great roundtable for you today with Jackie Edmonds Kofer, who is the creator of Let's Stay Together. She also worked on Martin, Moesha. She worked on a lot of shows, and she's really great. Uh, Akela Cooper, who has been on my wish list for this podcast for a long time. She's a straight-up nerd. She worked on the Luke Cage series, The Flash, The 100, and she's working on a new Netflix show. Uh, and we also have Caroline Kepnes, who is the creator of the new Lifetime series, You, about a stalker. She's a novelist, and You is based on her book. Uh, she's also done some TV work, including Seventh Heaven. And we have a really terrific conversation among those three powerhouse women writers. Before we get to that, we have a very interesting conversation with practicing witch Amanda Damron. Uh, I put out on the podcast a few months ago that if you love a pop culture witch, that if you are a pop culture witch, or if you are a practicing witch, please get in touch with me because I want to talk about it. And Amanda did reach out to me. So we have a fascinating conversation about what it means to be a practicing witch, especially in this year of 2018. Uh, she has some good advice for everybody, witches and non-witches alike, uh, about casting spells and the harm that can come back on you around that. So please enjoy this conversation with Amanda Damron. So I'm talking with Amanda Damron, who is a writer's panel listener who contacted me when I sent word out that I want to talk to and about pop culture witches. And she said, I'm a witch. <laughs> and I got this great email saying, I'm the witch from Twitter, <laughs> which I loved. So Amanda, thanks for taking the time to talk to me. You are so welcome. I'm so excited to be the witch from Twitter. 
Uh, there's worse branding out there. That's that's pretty. No, good I think you. it's awesome. I love it. So tell me about this. You are are you a practicing Wiccan? Is that is that correct terminology? I know nothing about this. So I'm not a Wiccan, okay. but I am a witch. Oh, that's so interesting. Wiccan, What's the difference? Wiccan is a religion, and witchcraft is a practice. And some people who are a witch are also Wiccan, mm-hmm. and some witches don't identify as Wiccan. Um, for me, I just don't identify with any religion at all, mm-hmm. but I I identify with the practice of witchcraft. Well, that's really interesting. And so tell me a little bit about finding this identity and, you know, discovering this thing that made you say, yes, this is finally the thing that points to who I am. Yeah. Um, I think I always was a little bit on the witchier side of things. Even when I was little, I used to, um, go into the backyard and study the plants and the insects and the local animals that were, we live, I'm from the Philadelphia area and we lived near a Creek called Cobbs Creek and there were animals. And so I was really interested when I was little about the actual earth. Mm-hmm. And then I started to get into crystals as a little kid. And I started to learn about different forms of crystals and birthstones. And, and then that led me to learn about Zodiac signs and I never became an expert. I never really got totally obsessed with it, but it was always something I was interested in. And then once I went to college, I studied acting in school. And uh, the basic, like when you first learn how to be an actor, they teach you a lot about meditation. Mm-hmm. And so you start to develop a meditation practice. And... um you start to build awareness of energy. And when I started learning that, that was around the same time that Oprah Winfrey had a free, um, I guess, workshop on the books of Eckhart Tolle. He -hmm. wrote the books, A New Earth and The Power of Now. And they were also, they're books that teach you how to become aware of your surroundings and all through practice of meditation and also through some other practices that all are like the basis of um, witchcraft practices as well. And I could just kept taking everything a step further. So I did this whole Oprah. It was like a three week course. You would go into a webinar and she would lead the webinar and you would do your exercises. And I just found myself really getting into it. And I started tying it all together with acting, with what I learned when I was little, I started to bring crystals back in to my life and start to really learn about them as an adult. And then every, as my awareness, as I started paying more attention to like what was in my basic surroundings, I started to, more things started coming in. I feel like all this stuff just came to me. And then at some point I just started practicing meditation as a ritual in the morning. And then I started going to group meditations. And then I started meeting other women who practiced this stuff and other stuff. And then I met people who were in goddess circles who would Mm -hmm. practice moon rituals. And all of these things were so interesting to me. So I just did everything. And during that time, I started to get very strong dreams where one of my grandmothers who's been, she died about 20 years ago, 
she started coming to me and contacting me during the time of me developing these practices. And in the dreams, she was basically telling me, you are a witch and so was I. And I, I pass this to you and I want you to practice meet everybody you can learn all read every book you can about this and just practice. Hmm. And so she was my dad's mom. And I asked my dad if she was a witch and he just laughed and didn't understand what I was talking about. <laughs> um, but I believed the dreams and then I just kept going with it. And, uh, then I started a band. I was in a dance punk band called gang and we, set goals from day one and our only goals were to open for the B-52s <laughs> and to open for peaches. And we did like a mini ritual to like make these goals happen. We had no way of having that happen. We had zero connections to anybody. We were just in the su suburbs of Philly playing in one of our parents' basements for fun. <laughs> but eventually over the years, those goals did happen. And we did go on to do these things that we set out. And so I learned that I could practice setting intentions and making them happen, um, which is magic uh, or sorcery, mm -hmm. like the an act of willing a change into reality. Hmm. And so all these things were lining up in a row as I kind of practiced and built awareness over the years. I would say this all was over the last like 13 to 14 years. Mm -hmm. And it's over the last couple years that I really just decided, okay, I'm a witch and I'm definitely, I'm saying that this is my definition. I'm identifying in this way. And it kind of lined up with what's happening politically mm -hmm. in our country. Um, How so? Because I really started to realize that patriarchy and patriarchal systems were, I just started learning how oppressive they are. I always knew, but I didn't see it so clearly until basically Trump became president, even before that, because there were all these things of what he was saying, mm -hmm. um, all of his inflammatory language and terms of violence and all these things, they were like making people accept that, or it was validating people's behaviors to go out then and mm -hmm. do hate crimes and like say anti LGBT stuff and be racist and do all these things. Um, that to me was like, Oh, I want to learn how to fight this. Mm -hmm. I want to learn how to, what can I do on a really teeny tiny individual grassroots level to, how can I do my best to protect the people that I love? Because I have a lot of people around me in my community and my two brothers and everybody LGBTQ trans, like these people that are suffering people in my neighborhood that live, that are undocumented people that are this, this regime is can be harmful to so many people and is harmful to so many people. And here I am like sitting over here with my white privilege, feeling like helpless. Um, I just started realizing that I could practice, I mm -hmm. could practice things, um, through witchcraft that could be of help. Well, that's interesting. So, so what, what power do you have to start to change things in small ways? Well, real, I mean, anybody can do these things mm -hmm. really. Um, not just witches. <laughs> also, I would like to say that I don't think witches are like super super special or supernatural. I just think that they're regular people that are, 
learn about energy and intention Mm -hmm. and will, and they build awareness to like use what they have with their own body and soul to practice. I want to, and I want to go back to that, uh, in a minute, but, but, um, but yes, I do want to hear about, you know, what, what are these things that you're putting out to sort of help people and to change things close to you? So there's, there's things that I do that are ritual and then things that I do that are everyday activities that go hand in hand with each other. Mm -hmm. But like the ritual thing is I just have a morning practice. I have a little altar that has items on it that I believe are helpful in, in this way. I have some crystals and a candle and I do meditations in the morning to, I do different types of meditations every day and I don't pick it until I'm about to do it. Um, I don't pick what type of meditation I'm going to do until the moment I'm going to do it. Cause I think every day is different. Mm-hmm. You different, you wake up, sometimes you feel one way you need something else, but I like to just center myself and open my heart. So I want my heart and my heart energy to be open so that I can, when I step out of my house to go into the world, I am leading with love basically, instead of hate or fear. Um, meditation for me, it just gets me there. And I think gets a lot of other people there too. So yeah. I start with meditation and then some days I do rich, I do a spell. <laughs> what what does um, that mean? So there's ways, to, there's, a lot of ways to do spells. And I think that magic and witchcraft is super individual. You can read all the books in the world and you can learn about how to do things, but you try stuff, you practice it on your own or with other people, and then you take what works and then you toss what doesn't. So I've read a ton of books about like how to do a spell. And basically for most people, what they like to do is they will meditate to ground themselves. They will cast a circle. You, there's a lot of ways you can cast a circle. You don't even have to physically do anything. You can just visualize a circle around you for protection. Hmm. Um, and then you put together your steps for your spell. A spell is just the word spell, like the word spell, like when you spell a word, you're just writing down the letters. It's basically writing out your ingredient list. Mm -hmm. So a spell is an ingredient list or an action list. And you just, you cast your circle, you do your actions, you can bind a spell, which means that you can, for me, what I do is I visualize a cord encircling, like binding spells are what I do for the political stuff. Mm -hmm. So instead of placing a hex on somebody, like instead of me, like trying to, you know, make Donald Trump go fall down the stairs. (laughs) Something (laughs) crass like that. that. Yeah, I don't do that because if you do that, if it's like boomerang work, what you put out there comes back to you and it comes back to you stronger. Mm -hmm. So instead of doing that, you can do something like you just bind them, like you envision them and you wrap a cord around them so that they cannot practice their hate anymore. That's Hmm. all it is. It's just a visualization of them being bound so that they cannot do the harm. Mm -hmm. And then you end the spell in the way that you end it and you go about your day. If I were to like visualize him, you know, getting in a plane crash, Mm -hmm. that's probably going to make me feel worse. It's probably going to make me feel riled up and mad. And I'm going to, you know, go into my life with energy like that. And then it may come back to me in some way. Mm -hmm. I'd rather send love or send protection 
so that later maybe that'll come back to me. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting to me that you talk about this as coming from a place of love and positivity and wanting that to be in the world. And that so that's what you're putting out there. And that is probably yeah, that'll come back to. Yeah, it's about opening opening your heart, connecting to the, your whole, the whole world around you, like connecting to your earth, respect for the earth and the animals and the plants here and our ecosystem. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people don't think about these things as we go through the day, people litter, people, you know, we drive cars all the time. We do all these things that are just killing the earth, but the earth is what's, it's why we're here. Mm-hmm. And so in practice of witchcraft, you honor the earth and you honor the people on it. And so instead of greeting people with any sort of negativity, you you just go out from the morning with an open heart and love. And if you send that out on your small, teeny, tiny little grassroots level, that's like how that's like the other step. So other than the spell work, Mm -hmm. then there's like the individual work of you just being a normal human in your life. You know, you just, like they say, be the change. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, It seems to me that so much of what you've talked about in regards to the practice of witchcraft has to do with awareness uh, of yourself and of your place in the world and of the world. What does that, what does that mean to you? It means that instead of like walking down the street blindly just for you to get to your own destination, let's say you're going to work and your drive to work is 30 minutes. So an unaware way would be to just like race out of your house, get into your car, drive to work, get there, hope your eight hours of work goes by really fast and then leave so you can go home. That's one way. And then a way of doing that with awareness might be to just step outside, look around, acknowledge that the sky is there, acknowledge the sun, be grateful for your earth that you're standing on, be grateful. Uh, gratitude practice is a big part of it, too. Mm-hmm. Is And I think that it goes hand in hand with um, awareness, mm-hmm. because when you're aware of your surroundings, you can be grateful for it. And gratitude is another energy changing um, thing. It can, that's another vibration raiser. And so instead of like jumping in your car and racing to work and waiting for the day to end, which I think a lot of people do, especially if you hate your job, (laughs) um, you can just like take some time to be still, to look around, maybe notice the tree that's next to you on the street instead of racing by it, um, slowing down a little bit, not rushing through life, taking, taking a breath, becoming aware of your breath. Remember that you're a living, breathing organism on the planet instead of just like a cog in a machine. I think witchcraft is like the anti cog in the machine practice. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think, and I think that's great advice for, Anyone and everyone, to be honest. Uh, I want to wrap up just by asking you a couple of things. Uh, the first is, do you have a, a favorite pop culture witch? Um, I love this witch, Starhawk, but I don't know if she's a pop culture. She's Who's like a she? popular witch. Starhawk is, she's like a real witch. And she's um, one of the forefront women of who like practice the goddess religion mm-hmm. and she she's a writer she's written tons and tons and tons of books on witchcraft and and other things and she's an amazing writer and i guess poet too sometimes but she's a 
the witch that a lot of witches know. She's a witch's witch. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, great. You're giving me something to to look into. That's really cool. Yes, yeah, Starhawk. She's probably my favorite just because I learned so much. That's um, awesome. Pop, but pop culture witches, I feel like I want to see one be totally normal. I want to, <laughs> and I would just want to see a show. Maybe, and I'm also a, I'm an actor and a writer, so mm -hmm. maybe this is like my life's mission because I do want to create eventually a series about witches. That's what I feel calling to do. That I want to see a show where the witches are just these normal everyday people, and you see them practicing, and they're not these like supernatural, mm -hmm. like super black hair with jet black <laughs> eyes and crazy eyeliner and they're sexy and they dress in all black and the coolest clothes i want to see like i want to see in pop culture witches that just look like everyday people but you get to see how practicing magic in their life makes their life so awesome that's really cool we'll get out there and do it go make that i am um, i'm in the very beginning stages of it so right. it's exciting me <laughs> um tell people where they can find you online you can find me on Instagram and Twitter, just at Amanda Damron, A-M-A-N-D-A-D-A-M-R-O-N. And um, I post a lot of fun things about Crystal and my little puppy doggy, who's my co-partner in witchcraft and <laughs> um, fun acting stuff, too. And if anybody, if you are a witch or you want to be a witch, I can tell you, I can give you some tips on how you can start practicing. One tip I'll give you right now for listeners is that um, if you are, if you have no idea how to practice, go to your local metaphysical bookshop. Every city has one. If you don't live in a city, go to your nearest like big town. There's, there's always, you can go to the bookstore mm -hmm. and start there That's... they usually have events and and then also the internet the internet is like an amazing tool for witches go yeah. on to reddit there there's like witchcraft on reddit there's meetup groups on meetup.com the internet will be your best friend that's great <laughs> and people can find you on twitter and you can answer questions and start to send them to some of these great resources amanda thank I you so much for chatting yeah thank you it's so exciting to talk to you Now is the time for you to call up your local comic book shop and pre-order the only thing I care about, my new Vertigo comic called Hex Wives. It's about witches, and it's about gender politics. Does that sound fun? Probably not, but it is. The artist is amazing. The colorist is amazing. The editors are unbelievable. Uh, I'm just hanging on for dear life and hoping that people buy this so I can tell dozens and dozens of stories in this world. So please... Call up your local comic book shop. If you don't know where it is, go to comicshoplocator.com, put in your zip code, and uh, order that comic, Hexwives. It comes out on Halloween. You just tell them you want it, they'll hold a copy for you, and then you go to the store and buy it. It's easy. It's like $4. And I think you're going to like it. I do. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker. Starting now. Oh, yeah. This is how a podcast starts. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go around the table, starting here with Akela, and ask you guys to introduce yourselves on the microphone. Um, tell us what you are working on now, if you can. and um, <laughs> But tell us where you know the listener might have seen your name on their television screen as well. All right. Want me to start? Please. Uh, Akela Cooper. You would know me from Luke Cage and American Horror Story. 
I am Jackie Edmonds Kofer. I started a million years ago on a show called Martin and most recently did Superior Donuts on CBS. I am Caroline Kepnis, and years ago, many years, I was a writer on A Secret Life of the American Teenager, and I wrote this book, You, and that's being becoming a TV show on September 9th on Lifetime. Yeah, congratulations. Thank Sweet. You. I feel like, and, and Caroline, we can talk about this for a second, um, this adaptation process, uh, is it a terrifying thing to you? You're, you're in the room, right? Um, I was in the room for a couple of weeks okay. because I wrote one episode. But so there are different stages. Like, it's so exciting to hear that someone loved your book. And when it's Greg Berlanti and Sarah Gamble, it's great. Mm -hmm. And then to meet them and see that they connect on all the same points and see it the way you two, you do. So that was just a joy. Good. Yeah. That's good to hear. Yes. Um, but being in that room when you're not used to that and it's been a while. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, when the book is all up on the wall, like yeah. up there, and it's theirs, and it was yours, and now it's theirs, and it's that. Yeah. So when you have your book adapted, and you have other people with their interpretations, like what is that like? Have you ever been in the room where you're just like, no, 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 the character would never do that? <laughs> it's amazing because I went in, I was doing episode eight, mm -hmm. so they'd all spent so much time with it. And again, like, I can't say enough about those walls with the cards. I'm just like, oh, my God, like, you all speak my language. Mm -hmm. And then they've they've changed things. Like, it's such a miracle when something is exactly the same. Mm -hmm. And I knew that would feel that way. But when they come up with something that I wouldn't have necessarily thought, and I'm like, I love that. That's, like, <laughs> the most powerful because it's that collaboration. But was there, I mean, like Kayla's asking, was there that feeling of, this isn't what my book is, or you're taking this away. And ultimately, like, they have to make this a new thing. Yes. Right? Yeah, that's the way I see it. I mean, because I think, too, because I'd worked in television before, mm -hmm. like, when you know what that is to make something, I know, like, also, when you look at the script and when you're writing, you feel like that's the baby. But in television, the script is one part mm -hmm. of the process. So mm -hmm. I went into all this, like, knowing that and, like, you know, feeling very prepared for to read things and have them be different. And there's an emotional shock there. But again, like when it's when you like what they're doing with it yeah. and they care and they're mm -hmm. not like so communicative and yeah, I'm lucky. That's good. <laughs> have they cast it yet? Because I would think that would be another yeah, dimension yeah. of taking what That's you saw surreal. in your mind and, and yes. seeing it. Because it's come another to life. thing with writing fiction. Right. Like I would picture it's a the book is written entirely almost in like the second person where it's this guy and he's speaking to this woman in his head and he's obsessed with her. And I didn't think like I would, you know, whatever I was watching or reading, I would some picture this one, picture that one. But in general, because I was so focused on his interpretation, I didn't picture him a lot. Mm. So that was exciting. I mean, over the years to see how other people picture him and then oh, see yeah. that come to life. And now I have to put a face to the voice in my head. Yeah, yes. Yeah. And the audiobook was amazing and the guy that did it was great. So so that was, yeah, so I'd gone through that process, too. Or, Interesting. Yeah. I mean, there is something, and I think uh, sort of we can all speak to this, to once you put this thing out in the world, it starts to become less yours, yeah. right? Yes. Like, TV is such a collaborative medium. That's, uh, for many of us, it's part of why we do it. And, you know, you do want to be the author of the thing, but you also have to share, right? Yeah. What, is, what has been your experience else's... in this? Like, you guys have sold shows. You guys have run shows. Tell me about them. Uh, the getting well, I, into collaboration. Yeah, I agree that the exciting part is having your vision and having someone else or the team actually elevate it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, I've had the experience a couple of times where I think that they kind of went the opposite direction. <laughs> but that's really been rare. Yeah. And that was very early on. Um, since then, I think I've only had the experience, uh, you know, except for, you know, 
<laughs> jokes die. But right. other than that's that, another thing. We'll get into that's, that. a, that's a whole different <laughs> thing. But, you know, you get used to that process. But in general, you know, the script that you turn in once it's on the stage actually is a whole different thing. And you hope that it is better because not only you as a writer and your team of writers, but also, you know, everybody else who's on the stage has added. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and it it is greater than what you came up with, you know, whether it's casting or even, you know, something as simple as props or wardrobe that they've really taken it in a different direction that you didn't anticipate. Is there something to that, you know, especially beginning writers where the most control we have is on the page, Mm -hmm. right? Is there something to, is there a way to convey that which we are trying to get across on the page, like to sort of try to maintain that control or to try to, you know, how clearly can we communicate the vision when you're getting people who come in who might be a little sideways to that vision? Put every put a lot of stuff in parentheticals <laughs> that you were trying to like, this is the yeah. intention. Like this is like, just know that this is the emotion or it's like a lot of times it's like, we will pay this off. Mm-hmm. Like just know, don't ask that question. Right. We know we're going to get the question. Don't. Um, that's kind of helped, but it's I haven't sold my own show yet i i have a development deal so a lot of my stuff has been like it's uh, adapting a book and so then i take my interpretation of the book and craft that pilot and then my executives come in with their notes and it's like can we have this and that person seems really mean and i'm just like because they're the asshole they're supposed to be (laughs) they're supposed to be mean it's like well can you just pull it back and then it's also that it's like what writers know is like the note under the note it's Mm -hmm. like when you're listening like what are you really do you not like this character at all do i need to cut this character or like do you really just need me to like go back in here and take out 10 percent of meanness um so that (laughs) that's what i've dealt with but it's like immediately as a writer it's like why don't you get what i'm trying to do and then when you actually sit and think with it it's like okay clearly something got lost in my intention versus them reading it Mm -hmm. um so how can i make that more clear do i need parentheticals or do i just need to take out 10 percent of meanness (laughs) or at a time it's like all right we're going to talk about this because i'm not going to take this note and here's why it's right. like i need this i need him to be mean right now because it pays off later on mm-hmm. so it is it's those discussions with people and just making sure everyone understands where the other person is coming from yeah yeah i think that's fair um let's talk about uh pitching if we can because uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah as you say maybe you haven't done your own stuff but you still have to pitch this material oh, I pitched, yeah yeah uh, and even in a room, you have to pitch stuff, right? And I'm already like, <laughs> yeah, it's tough. It's tough. And Jackie, I want to start with you. I mean, you comedy rooms are notoriously difficult. Yes, and that's what you've you've pretty much done entirely. Um, can you tell me a little bit about like the learning curve to just pitching in the room first? Well, you know, I started out very quietly because I was literally in a room with, I think, six stand-up comedians on my first show. Oh my was and this on Martin? On was Martin, there something yeah. Okay. And so they were very bold mm-hmm. pitchers all the time. So I really started out, I rarely pitched jokes, I think, for the first half of the first season. It was mostly, you know, story and character things. And then once you get used to sort of hearing your own voice in the room, <laughs> um, you become a little better. Another sort of trick (laughs) that I did was I sat right next to the showrunner. So I could sort of almost pitch under my breath and he would hear it. I didn't have to like boldly shout it out from across the room. Oh, but you had the showrunner who would be like, what did you say? Exactly. Because some showrunners would be like, why are you talking? Right, (laughs) right. Yeah, And that was another great thing that for the first two shows, um, I had, well, 
really, you know, the first one, very collaborative mm-hmm. uh, showrunner who wanted to literally hear from everyone. And um, and that literally everyone, you know, it's like I'll take a joke from the food delivery guy. It's funny. <laughs> um, so that was a really, you know, very nurturing environment. Mm-hmm. You know, I went to another show where kind of like the staff writers were even in another room. And I was like, that's terrible. It literally yeah. was the kids table. We sat at the table and then there was a couch and the staff writers sat on the couch. And so they were kind of like I took that posture that like whispered to me. Yeah. And I will say, you know, he has a funny joke there, you know, so that we can sort of endorse each other and make sure all the voices get heard. That's, On that that's show, cool. that's crazy, though. What was the expectation of the staff writers? I think their expe- the expectation there, and I actually experienced it again recently, was that they were sort of to generate uh, story ideas. Huh. Um, or if we got a lot of notes on a particular episode, it would be, okay, like you four guys go and figure out. Mm-hmm. This note, or how we can address just this relationship. So the just least experienced people are exactly. like, what? <laughs> seems to be crazy to me. Again, I was used yeah. to every uh, an all-in yeah. situation where everybody from the top to the bottom was in on literally everything from casting to. Um, so I got I had a really quick learning curve because every single aspect of production mm-hmm. I would sit in edits, you know, as a staff writer. That's one amazing so, experience. Yeah, so it was really a great experience, and so that's how I was trained. So that's how I've run things in the past, mm-hmm. you know, since then. And people are frequently surprised, mm-hmm. like <laughs> you want me to. I'm like, yeah, you got to learn how to do this if you at some point want to run a show or be a better yeah. contributor. You have to see that's how what you pitch in the room actually shows up on mm-hmm. tape, and then how we're gonna manipulate it um, <laughs> before you see it on TV. So, yeah. Oh, that's really yeah, interesting. I, I kind of, I had that experience except it was on the same show. It was on my first show where it's like the first showrunner was all hands on deck. I don't care if you're a staff writer, you're going to contribute. And it was just like, oh, okay. Crap, mm-hmm. I have to like, I have to pitch just like everyone else. Um, and so, unfortunately, he was let go like halfway through the season and then the new guy that they brought on was the staff writer should be seen and not heard. Right. Oh. It was just like, yeah, it was like a complete 180 for me, like within months. Um, and so, but it's like, how am I supposed to learn anything right. if you just, I guess I'm just supposed to like sit here and watch. Yeah. Right. I, and I, then would you sit there taking notes or writing down your own ideas or are you just supposed to be like, I was an just supposed to member? sit like, yeah. Wow. That's a long day, too, I would imagine. It's a very <laughs> long day. And, you, you know, when you're not participating, you check out. Oh, yeah. Right? You know, and mm. so then you're less inclined to participate. And then when you are called on, it's like, hey, I need a joke for that. You're like, oh, what? <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, I haven't been part of this process. <laughs> yes. uh, I don't really know what I'm supposed to do here. So. And why have a staff if you're not going to engage them and use them? Right. I mean, I know... This guy inherited that staff, too, yes. which is difficult, but still. Or, you know, just let me go. There's that, too. Right. And if I was the one in charge of that, I would like be like, what is she thinking? What is she thinking? She's not saying anything all day. That would drive me nuts sure. if there were people just sitting there. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, it right. seems like a setup for everyone. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. You know, I think that they were trying to sort of allocate tasks efficiently. Mm-hmm. But I think in um, it, I didn't really think it was that effective. Well, in comedy, <laughs> especially. I mean, comedy, you want to hear everybody's voices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you really do. And there's a reason that everybody's there, even if they are brand new writers, you saw something in their spec or in their interview that made you say that they can yeah. contribute here mm-hmm. at some point, maybe at a different level than a co-EP, but right. 
But you change your expectation too. Right. But you can still have everyone participate. Um, Right. That's very interesting. All right. I want to kind of go back to the beginning, get everybody's origin stories. Uh, Tell me about breaking in. Um, Caroline, did you, you've done some TV work. You have a credit on Seventh Heaven. Yeah. Uh, you wrote on Secret Life of the American Teenager. One season. Mm-hmm. Did you start as a novelist and then go into TV? How? Tell, tell, I walk started me through with it. short stories. I've just been writing short stories forever. Mm-hmm. I've always been a fiction person. I like paragraphs. That's where whenever I write a script, the, um, the stage directions are like, <laughs> oh, and, yeah, I'm doing a pilot. Fired. And the, the, produ- the, the executive giving notes was like, well, you know, we can't see that. I'm like, but in the book, that's it. That's where it ends. Like, that's, <laughs> yeah. So it's very different. Yeah. And then I worked as a journalist, and when I, I was interviewing a lot of showrunners, the first time I ever came to California was for TCA, for Entertainment Weekly. And I, after the interview was over, I asked a couple of producers to read my spec scripts. And, really? Yeah. <laughs> That's very bold and for so a journalist. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 so the recorder was off and I was like, so, you know, shaking nervous and yeah, and not like in a, just for advice. So then I started getting feedback and that was nice. And then I moved here. So what, let's, let's back up for a Sorry, second. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I apologize. I'm going to interrupt you guys all the time because I want to sort of dig in on some of these details. Um, you were working as an entertainment journalist. Mm-hmm. And in, you knew you wanted to be in this world, otherwise you wouldn't have written a spec script in right. the first yeah, place. Right, yeah, I mean, I, I thought that I wanted to, like, I liked writing short stories, and there's no, you know, there's no way to get a job writing short stories. So it was like, oh, this idea, like, it was always appealing to me to live here and work in this and collaborate with others. Okay, and, yeah. so did you write original specs? I wrote originals, a- and I wrote an episode of Sex in the City. Okay. Yes. First of all, how did you even know what these looked like? <laughs> um, in school, in college, I guess I took a class. Okay. And then in New York, I love where they just sell them on the street. Sure. So I was like, my apartment had tons of them. And I would just read and read and read. And, okay. Yeah. So you sort and of try absorbed and get, how Try to learn Final Draft. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Uh, and then... Were you comp- like, did you have enough of these that by the time it came time to ask these showrunners to read something? You had confidence in the script? What were you looking I had, for? I was looking that? for feedback, like, am okay. I wasting my time kind of thing? Because okay. in short stories, I felt so like when I was writing, like confident and good. And I and like I like doing that, but I wanted to learn. I hadn't taken a lot of classes in screenwriting and I had just hadn't had someone, you know, who could technically be like, OK, give it a mm-hmm. shot. Yeah. Uh, and what kind of feedback did you get? I mean, people clearly said yes to this. Yeah. I mean, yes. And yes. <laughs> with, you know, pages of notes. And mm-hmm. yeah. And so then I moved here and I wrote an episode of Seventh Heaven while I had another job. And then was I that, kept, you wrote that on your own or was that a freelance episode? That was a what freelance was episode. Okay. So that was my first time, like going into an office and seeing. Yeah. How did you even get that? Um, Brenda Hampton, the showrunner, had read some of my scripts and... Okay. Did you have an agent at this point? At that point? No, I feel like that's how I got an agent. Okay. So how did the scripts wind up in her hands? Um, from meeting her when I was working oh, for Entertainment Weekly. Okay. Yes. So you kept up that relationship. <laughs> yeah. All right. I think this is, I mean. I like, like yeah. that email. Yeah. We talk about uh, breaking in stories being, you know, sort of a, a tough thing to talk about because they mm. really aren't replicable. replicable. Mm. But I think we no. can take a lesson from that, which yes. is like relationships matter. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then I, so I did Seventh Heaven and then a year on Secret Life. And then I had that year of my life where like everything just fell apart on every level. And I was like, I want to write a book. Like I want to do something that I know will make me feel better. Like that's my 
happy place. So there's an interesting thing in here, and I'm, I'm not sure if you guys can speak to it, but if you can, please do, because um, it seems like you've both been working very consistently. But, <laughs> but there is a thing that happens, and I don't think it gets talked about a lot, where you know you get the first job, and maybe you get even the second job, and you get these things here and there, and you're sort of cobbling together a career, mm. but it's not consistent. Right. This this career can start and fits and can mm-hmm. go in fits and starts. Yes. Which I think is terrifying. And like you think like there's the fantasy of the big break and then you're in it. And I remember like that after that first year of Secret Life feeling very much like, oh, like in order to do this, I need someone else to tell me I can do this. Like mm-hmm. basically like you need someone to, to say I choose you to be in the room. Yeah. But when you sit down to write a novel, it's like the room is in your head mm-hmm. and you can just keep going and maybe you'll never sell it. But like. You can do that on your own. Right. You don't need permission yeah. to do it. You won't get paid necessarily. Exactly. But. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> There's that. <laughs> um, has, well, you, you were yesing to this. Has, was that your experience as well? You know, once the first sort of sales came or breaks came, was it consistent? N- no, I got my first show through the Warner Brothers Writers Workshop mm-hmm. uh, and it was V on ABC. And oh. I think it's. Safe. To, well, it's safe to say now. It's like that was excruciating and awful <laughs> experience uh, for a young staff writer. And then I was let go, which is the polite way of saying you were fired. Mm-hmm. Uh, were you bus- let go at the end of the seat, like when the, the contract was up? Yeah. Okay. So you were not asked back. Did yeah. you know it was coming, or was it a shock? It was a little bit of a surprise, but it's like okay. I have been kind of freed from this. I'll move on. Okay, wait. I want to back up for a second. So uh, through the Warner Brothers program, which mm-hmm. is a very competitive program, yes. and like that's really a, a good a good thing for the career and, mm-hmm. and as a writer to get into. Um, you have to write a spec of an existing show, yes. right? What did you write? Supernatural. Did you really? <laughs> yes. Uh, do you want to pitch it to me? My Supernatural episode was basically Sam and Dean come across a group of, and I'm going to mispronounce this, but it's Maynads. Okay. Uh, like Dionysus, the women who worship Dionysus, basically who are like trying to resurrect Dionysus mm-hmm. in like this small, like southern town. Uh, and they have to put a stop to it. Great. I just always love to hear what people's takes on the existing shows were. It's always fun to me. Yeah. Um, it was basically Dean, oh wait. Yeah, it was Dean getting drunk on wine. Perfect. <laughs> and I'll tell you, that's the set piece they want, right? Because yeah. he was going to be, the, I think, yeah, he was going to be the vessel that, like, they were going to put him, Great. like, on this pyre or whatever, <laughs> get him drunk. The god was going to come through. Dean, Sam had to stop it at the last minute. Like, yeah. Perfect, perfect spec. <laughs> um, so you went into the Warner Brothers writing program. And... To get into that, I wrote a Mad Men spec, though. Oh, is that right? I did. Oh, so that wasn't the spec that got you in. Uh, well, to yeah, no, in the program we wrote right, you're a, right spec, a spec, and that was Supernatural. Sorry, oh, and the one okay. that got me in, I wrote a Mad Men spec. Oh, interesting. Now, looking at your resume and knowing you from Twitter and other places as a tremendous nerd, Mad Men does not seem an obvious choice. I was obsessed with Mad Men at the time. Sure. I liked what we it all was. Were. Yeah, I liked what it was doing, and I, I don't know. I like I had an idea for a Mad Men spec, and I was like, I'm going to try this. And can you tell us about? It. I miss Mad Men so much. I want to go back <laughs> right now. Yeah, yes. Please just can we just read it? Yeah. Like I, I knew it was it was coming, and I believe they did. I don't remember which season, but before they did it on the mm-hmm. show, I basically did the the JFK assassination, mm-hmm. where I played it as if it was going to, like as if it would have happened in real life, where to everyone else it was just a normal day, mm-hmm. and then like two thirds of the way through the episode, it hits them what's happening, and then the fallout. That's cool. From that. Yep. Um, but basically, yeah, it's like, um, God, what was John Ham's name? Yeah, John Ham. 
Don Draper. Draper. <laughs> <laughs> it was like Don and Peggy like trying to get um, uh, Yves Saint Laurent account uh, for the company and like working together on that and stuff. So oh, that's cool. Um, in the program, so you write us back in the program. Mm -hmm. Is it treated like a writer's room? Like how does how yes. does that work? So we had I think ten people got in in my year, and then we split into two groups of five. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so with each group, it was treated as a writer's room. You would write your spec and get right. notes and everyone would pitch and contribute. Um, and it's just like, yeah, no, it was designed. It's like, this is how you need to behave in a writer's room. Because apparently a lot of people as staff writers don't know how to behave. And that's become an issue, which is why a lot of people mm. don't want to bring in outsiders. Mm -hmm. It's why a lot of staff writers now are like they're, they're you know, the showrunner's assistant yeah. or the writer's assistant from another show. It's like, I already know you. I know you have the experience. I'm not taking a chance on someone I don't know who has never been in a room because yeah. you could fuck up. What do they <laughs> do wrong? I'm so intrigued. A, lo a lot of it is the, it's like, oh, I like see the flaw in the logic there and I'm going to point it out and I'm going to keep doing this on every pitch and I'm never going to have a solution. Yeah. <laughs> and for a staff writer, or I would say for any, for anyone on staff, that is fucking irritating. Don't ever do it. <laughs> Unless it's like, if it's something where you're just like, it's absolutely it's like, guys, I don't have a pitch for this because it, I right. don't think it works. I think we need to like take a look at this and maybe see if there's another way we can go. Otherwise. And if you're saying that one time in a season, yes. that's okay. <laughs> uh, but other times it's like, okay, there is a problem with this scene or with this dialogue or is the logic. How can I fix it? Like just think of that before think you of speak, it. Mm -hmm. and it might not work, but mm -hmm. it just shows us. It's like okay, you're trying. Yeah. You're not just shitting on people's ideas because yeah. that is how it's going to come off. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like if you just keep shooting down people's pitches. Yeah, um, this is. I want to pause on that for a second and sort of talk about this room etiquette and room expectations again. Jackie, you've been in some like heavy duty rooms, mm -hmm. and again, comedy rooms can be much tougher about this stuff. Um, what were some of these lessons that you learned either by seeing it or by, you know, experiencing it yourself? Well, yeah, you don't want to, uh, like you said, just tank people's pitches <laughs> just to do it. Um, but there are ways to get your point across, even sometimes when you don't have a fix, like mm -hmm. if you take it outside the room yeah, and you say, oh, sure. you know, okay, I wasn't quite sure about that thing that, mm -hmm. you know, and then maybe there's, you know, someone in a higher level position can either agree with you or explain and maybe take it back in the room in a more politic way, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, because they have the the ability to do that or to pose things as questions mm -hmm. instead of <laughs> just saying, you know, just like, I wasn't sure about it. You know, why? Is, <laughs> right. You know, when you do it that way, again, you're not attacking someone's. Right. Uh, help me understand. Yeah. Help this. me understand. Yeah. And then, you know, again, you're if you're particularly if you're a, a beginning writer you might you just might not understand yeah <laughs> you know um the last show that i was on i came in uh second season six months in oh, wow. so there literally was a lot of stuff i just mm -hmm. didn't understand you know stuff that they had done before stuff that they had tried that maybe the network had shot down mm -hmm. so even though i was you know an elderly writer, you know, you know, even though, you know, I sort of had that, I still approached it as if I was, cause I was new, yeah. you know? So, sure. and, and I would just, you have to find, your footing, have to find your footing room. even in that specific room. I yeah. wasn't trying to come in and just, you know, act like I was taking over, like I was running things cause I wasn't. 
you know, I was mm-hmm. just there to really sort of help and contribute. And part of that is just asking those questions and mm-hmm. asking my friends who are on the show, like, why haven't we done that? Or why, <laughs> you know, and some of it, some of it was, yeah, we tried that. And the right. network was like, yeah, we don't want to see that. So, okay. I'm done. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and there's no, you know, there's no easy way into that. Like every room yeah. has its own. Yeah. And every room definitely, feel, you know, right? you have to feel it out. Um, and see who are the sort of influencers, <laughs> uh, yeah. you know, so, you know, you don't want to necessarily, you know, don't want to get too political about it. But sometimes there are people who are outliers or people who are there for um, people who just don't get respected in the room. And mm-hmm. so sometimes, you know, you want to feel that out and figure out, you know, how to avoid being that person. <laughs> sure. And, you know, figuring out, you know, mm-hmm. what your strengths are and what you can best contribute in the best way you can do that. Yeah. And I want to pick up on that uh, conversation in a little bit. But, uh, Akhil, let's, let's sort of wrap this up. Um, so you came out of the program with a spec script. And mm-hmm. the, the promise of that is they sort of place you on a WB show, right? A Warner Brothers show. Yes, because um, we are technically free. Right. Uh, and what that means is the program pays our salary uh, for a certain number of weeks, it's probably, I think it may actually be the first season. I think that's what it was. Yeah. Um, and so we don't come out of the production budget. So it's like, hey, right? if you take a chance on this person, we've done our best to train them these past five months on how to act in the room right. and how to write <laughs> for a showrunner in their voice. And they're free. So right. take how a chance. No? Yeah, take a chance on them. It's like it doesn't hurt you. Right. Uh, and so. Yeah, I I met with Scott Peters, who had developed uh, the V reboot, and then they brought on Jeff Bell. So for a second, I was like, I aced the first meeting, yes! And then it's like, actually, we're bringing on another right. showrunner. You have to meet him, too. And it's like, <laughs> son of a bitch! I have to do this again! But no, Jeff Bell was incredibly cool. And I will say, it's like, my I knew I kind of had the job when I just told a story about um, how my dad's favorite movie was Blade Runner. <laughs> and he was always watching it. And I was like, I've n- there's never been the first time that I've seen Blade Runner because awesome. my dad was always watching it as I was a child. And so it was just, yeah. And Jeff Bell just kind of gave me this look and he was just like, Blade Runner's my favorite movie. It's like, Great. oh, awesome. <laughs> there's a yeah. kinship there. We're going to get along. And we did. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was how uh, I got on to V. And then it was it was just bad, just all around. Yeah. No one's fault. Maybe everyone's fault. Who knows? When, and it's been sort of, if people go back to the catalog, we've had people sort of dig in depth on that show specifically. I think but you've also talked to Charles. Over. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Charles. Uh, um, but, no, it was it was terrible. And so, like, I just, I was on the first season, a um, couple of showrunner changeovers. I was not asked back. And it was a period where I was like, okay, I'm going to get this next show. I've been a staff writer. Yeah. Uh, no, I was unemployed for a year. Yeah, maybe a year and some change, like coming back around to that next staffing season. And, and it presumably, was, I'm sorry, uh, presumably you had a, an agent coming off of that show. Yes, I had I had an agent like going in, even right. though. Yeah, because like my origin story, like really quickly, I yeah. went to USC MFA program in my last semester there. I got into the CBS writers workshop oh, thanks okay. to the NAACP partnering with USC and sponsoring me uh, as a scholarship student and so through that i met lee redmond who was developing a little show called jericho at the time and she was incredibly cool and just gave me my first shot at a job and so i became the research assistant on jericho and the cool thing about that was we shot in the valley Mm -hmm. and so our writer's room was there the stages was there and post was there so like you were saying it's like as a research assistant when i wasn't required 
in the room, I was hanging out on set, like getting to know like all yeah. of everyone's jobs or That's I would great. be hanging out in post, like getting to know the editor. So yeah. I had like a 360 degree education in this is how television it's is so valuable. made. But fast forwarding back to post V, mm -hmm. yeah, it's like my first agent left to become a manager. And then I got a new agent who was a baby agent. And a lot of times they'll tell you, it's like, if you're starting out, baby agents are probably a little bit better mm -hmm. because they are hungry. Mm -hmm. And it's like, they don't rise through the ranks unless their people are working. And so he busted his ass for me and he got me my staffing job on Grimm. Okay, so, but in and that then I've year, been working ever since. right? In that year, I mean, that is a terrifying thing, right? Um, like yeah. you're, you may have had dozens of meetings, you may have had no meetings. I don't know. Yeah, um, it was a co it was not as many as I would have wanted. Right, and it never is mm -hmm. when you're unemployed. <laughs> um, what were you doing in that year to either become a better writer or get staffed as a writer? I was working on my own material mm -hmm. while my friend Audrey, who works in reality television, threw me some work uh, in post. That's great. So I was working as a post PA in reality television to pay the bills while also it's like it gave me the time usually yeah. to write new specs and go on meetings when mm -hmm. I needed to. So Oh, that's good. I yeah. mean, you had and, and thankfully it was only a year. Yes. Um, all right, we'll pick up there when we come back. Uh, Jackie, you have a crazy background before you became <laughs> a comedy writer. It's not crazy. It's You're just way different. overqualified. So educated. <laughs> like, a little educated. A lot. A couple you, degrees. You should not be writing comedy. You're too good for it. <laughs> well, that's actually part of the story because I, um, I went to Harvard Business School. While I was there, I had a summer internship where I worked for Columbia Pictures. And I was... Um, I was always interested in the entertainment industry, mm -hmm. but having, you know, an MBA, I assumed it would be on the business side. Right. So I was in between L.A. and New York and uh, working in the summer internship and then did some work for uh, one of the guys I worked with had moved over to a consulting firm, I believe. Anyway, wrote case for the business school about Fox Broadcasting. And so that was sort of my second year project. And then when I was graduating... I really did not like Los Angeles, <laughs> and I was very tired of the East Coast, so I wanted to go back. I'm originally from Cleveland. I wanted to go back to the Midwest, back closer to my family, so I did that and took a very boring corporate job, which I despised very quickly, <laughs> and started looking around for maybe a way to get back in the entertainment industry. Mm. And I happened to, uh, through the Harvard Business School job listings, heard about job at Disney. And I called uh, just sort of an information line, but it also had information about the Walt Disney Writers Fellowship program, which is now the ABC, Disney, mm -hmm. whatever. And so that's actually how I got in. I wrote a spec script uh, for right. a different world and yeah, sent right. it in just out of nowhere because you know, I had no context. I was in Detroit. Right. Um, and that's why these fellowships and these programs are right. so yeah. valuable. Is you can right. find the person in Cleveland to submit exactly. a script. So I submitted that script and uh, got into the program. There were four of us. And so we did that uh, on the TV side. So yeah. I did that for a year. And uh, All right. Let me stop you there okay. for a second. Um, when you were sort of getting sick of this corporate job and yes. looking to maybe get a, a foot back into entertainment. Was the idea to write at that point or to create something? Uh, no, I was kind of uh, just floundering around. So I was uh, living in Detroit. I 
our corporate headquarters were in Chicago, so I spent a lot mm-hmm. of time in Chicago. I took a course in directing. I took mm-hmm. a screenwriting course, you know, just like sort of the okay. weekend courses sure. that are mm-hmm. offered around just to see what that stuff was. And then, again, just started looking for jobs in the L.A. area. And I did have a friend who was in business affairs or something at Disney, so mm-hmm. she was... Uh, sort of going to be my point of contact before I heard about the fellowship gotcha. program. I was like, oh, well, that sounds like fun. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'll write a script. I've never written a script. I'll write one. Right. And that's the yeah. thing that is, especially like we're probably about the same age. And I think like then you couldn't find scripts anywhere. No. Mm-hmm. Right? You couldn't no. just go online and see what a script looked like. No. So how did you know what this thing looked like? I went to uh, Barnes & Noble. Mm-hmm. I bought mm-hmm. every like TV writing uh-huh. book I could fix. Which there weren't I many could, probably. No, there were probably like four. Um, I sat down with a stopwatch and timed yep. the laughs. Yeah. <laughs> so I figured that, like laughs per page, mm-hmm. figure that out and... I guess kind of made my own format or whatever <laughs> guides were in those books. And yeah, yeah right. Like that out. with the stopwatch. Yeah. That yes. was, I yeah. don't know if you guys ever did this, but the reverse engineering of yeah, a show was exactly. so valid. Like that, I feel like that taught me everything about structure. Like I came up in the age of like, the internet when it first started I would remember going to like these X-Files fan <laughs> sites and it's like how do they know what the episode title is like yeah. I, would start, I would start watching the show I was like yeah. there's no the title doesn't come up in the credits how do no, they know what the damn never. title is where are they getting this information <laughs> I'm getting it from them but where are they getting it from right, right. download here yes. yeah. <laughs> the magic words so how did you find out like it, we were talking we mentioned oh, earlier, I didn't like, come into TV until late like until USC um, at mm-hmm. the time, it had like a nascent television writing program because everything was like centered around oh, of course. features. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, th- like, when I got to USC, that was when it's like, oh, this is how television works. Gotcha. And then it was, and you get paid a salary every week <laughs> and you see your material in months, not yeah. years. It's like, why isn't everyone working in this industry? <laughs> it's like this. Holy crap, tell me more. Right. It felt like a secret at the time. Yeah. <laughs> but then that year where there's toil, no job. Yeah. There's yeah. That yeah. There is that, but yes. Um, so, so, Jackie, you got into this Disney program. Right, right, um, right. And was it a similar thing? Like, did you write similar? In yeah, we had seminars. We wrote sort of in a group. We criticized each other. We had, you know, pitching practice. Mm-hmm. Um, was it all comedy stuff. people? Uh, yeah, they split us into feature okay. and comedy. So there's some things we did as a group, but there were four of us in the comedy program. Gotcha. And yeah. was it like, was it the lightning bolt there that you were like, this is what I want to pursue now? Or was oh, it still yeah. like, let's let's see what's no, happening? No, no, I definitely, I loved it immediately. Okay. I've, I've always been a huge TV watcher, TV mm-hmm. fan. Like everyone in my family was like, oh yeah. of course that's what you should be doing um yeah so i did that and after the program i think because at that point i think they've rejiggered the starting times and ending time we Mm -hmm. ended like in april which or maybe even later Mm -hmm. so it was like after there there was a gap yeah after staffing so the next season i uh interviewed and got a job on martin okay and the connection is that the one of the guys who created martin john bowman was a Harvard Business School alum. Really? And so I think that when he's, you know, he was actually so funny. two years, but so we, I don't think we intersected, right. and, but we certainly wouldn't have known each other anyway, but I think he saw that on my resume and was like, oh, here's someone I can talk to. <laughs> and, um, and they were looking for uh, a woman's voice mm-hmm. on the show because, you know, that was Martin. It's, a, it's, uh-huh, <laughs> it's 100% dominated by Martin. And, you know, when I looked at the scripts, all of the f- women's lines were like, yes, Martin, that's great, Martin. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, there was like if you look at the first season. So was that is like was that a situation where it's like 
we need a woman's voice. And yes. then you became like, you will write for Gina. Right. And that is um, what I need you to pitch on. No, not okay. like that at cool. all. I mean, we all still did everything. But awesome. so it was think, that kind of democratic. Yeah, room. Uh, he hired um, three of us, three women that year. And so, okay. yeah, so we were all contributing on everything. Right. Awesome. But I think we definitely s- strengthened those characters yeah well when they clearly knew they needed to strengthen those characters anyway so i'm sure it came from from the group right um how big a room was that i want to say 10 okay eight to ten not 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 unusual no but a normal normal size room for that day uh and was even though you had come out of the uh writing program was the room environment like a shock? Did you did you know what to expect? I had no idea. And it must have been a crash course. In it how was to an behave. absolute crash course. Yeah. Because you know, like very male dominated, very joke dominated. We had <laughs> we. It was easy to get a pitch shot down violently, um, but also oh, no. with a good spirit. Um, yeah. We had uh, actually one of the writers who I sat next to was Academy Award winning John Ridley. Um, so funny. And he had a hand puppet of a parrot, and we named it Yutzi. Oh. <laughs> And Yetzi, the parrot, was a, an ancient uh, TV writer who awesome. was on his fourth divorce. Yeah. <laughs> so he would do the voice of Yetzi. Yetzi was in love with me. But anyway, the, 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 the way that it was just a, an ongoing room bit, but the way that Yetzi got his name was if you said a bad pitch, someone would go, Yetz! And that's how Yetzi, So that's, that's a sort of, invi- that's a tough room, you know, when your pitch is going to get shouted down with but a made of expletive. But on board of it, But too. everyone was on board. I mean, it was if, like you're a gonna get, if you're going to get a pitch shot down, getting a shot down by a puppet (laughs) exactly that kind of softens the blow a little bit bit. so yeah so it was that kind of room like i always say it's still one of the best experiences i've had because again um i remember going out to lunch with some of the female executives and the other women writers Mm -hmm. and they were like telling me what a horrible time i was having and i was like really (laughs) i'm having a great time because i think you know they had other experiences and so they i was I thought this was how it was. Right. <laughs> that of everybody course. just yells at you <laughs> yeah. and shouts and kicks doors and, you know, it's just loud and raucous. And it was like, you know, a frat house. Would you I be there cool until that. like one in the morning? Just yeah, like but voluntarily. Go, yeah, yeah but I mean, that was the yeah. thing. I would stay in proof, you know, you know, we just because it was fun. Yeah, you know, like, it was it just such like a fun. Yeah. It, it really was, mm-hmm. you know. What was Martin's involvement? Was he in um, the room? No. Okay. No. I mean, he would come to casting, he was around, um, sort of, the execs would run the ideas by him, you know, before we took him to the network. Right. Um, but other than that, no, he was very mellow, very, very cool. You know, he pretty much ran the stage, but in terms of the writers, you know, he was pretty. That's great. And I mean, he off. trusted the show. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's great. Absolutely. Um, did you. So is this is the experience you had in that room something as a showrunner now you've sort of tried to emulate or recreate? Have you taken the best bits from that room? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the first thing is sort of the even playing field for all the writers. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought that was really, really important and, and encouraging the newer writers to get involved in everything. You know, come with me to proofing. You know, I mean, stay here in proof, mm-hmm. uh, you know, come to editing. Make sure you're involved in everything. Because I couldn't understand, like, uh, when I went to the next show, like you were saying, why people would leave when we were done. I was like, what? Go home. Why? <laughs> Isn't there more to, <laughs> to be had? That's so funny. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so, so I wanted to keep that very upbeat, fun environment. You know, mm-hmm. one of the reasons I switched from 
corporate life to being a comedy writer is to have fun and nice. also to get free food. So <laughs> you know, as long as there's free food, we should be making having as much fun as possible. Yeah, the free food um, is amazing. <laughs> You know, so and just keeping that environment. Yeah. <laughs> we haven't talked about this in a while. Like, this used to come up in the first year of the podcast. And I remember Josh Friedman saying, if you are a uh, writer's PA or the office PA, you need to buy not just the stuff you would eat. Oh, yeah. Get yeah. some apples. Get oh, yeah. some, like, low sugar uh, mm -hmm. high-protein high foods. Oh, RPA, I made sure it's, like, berries and fruit. I told mm -hmm. her, like, at the beginning of the season, like, every morning, just fresh fruit, please. She has been amazing. It's like apples, cuties, <laughs> strawberries. Like, yeah, she will put out a little bowl for all of us. Um, and that's, right. you know, we have healthy snacks. But then sometimes I'm just like, I want Fruit Loops. Right. <laughs> but you must have been in those rooms where, like, you eat the garbage all morning. Oh, yeah. And oh, then yeah. you're just dead by lunchtime. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, the worst, uh, we had a um, one show, the showrunner was on some very restrictive diet. And so she so everyone got, was. so everyone was, and everyone was mean for, <laughs> for like three weeks. We all hated each other, just nasty all the time. Um, this last room, um, I think it was the same thing. It was fruits and berries and, you know, just a really, and we had a lot of people with dietary restrictions. So it oh, was yeah. very, very, <laughs> That's how we look probably now. the the healthiest on paper room, but there was also a closet. Nice. Um, our our, our uh, writer's area was right next to the production staff. So they had all the good stuff. They had all the chocolate <laughs> and gummy bears and cookies and all that so it was like, like three steps away the frequency of it like when we were shooting this summer it's like 11 o'clock at night mm -hmm. and some suddenly some guy walks in he's like okay there's chicken marsala and i'm like why like it's just great I have the, it's like, let's just fucking eat more like and those little bowls of dinner after dinner and yeah the, was it the warm snacks that they will bring on mm -hmm. set when you're doing yes. like all-nighters yes. it's like mm -hmm. on one hand it's like yay Grilled cheese, then but now, it's also it's like, ugh. I just ate three hours ago. Right, exactly. Yes. Yeah. And, and I'm going to be sitting world, down. Yeah. Do they think that you need like these constant hot meals? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was looking, uh, right, we wrapped on March 20th. And so it was like the first of March. I started looking around saying, you know, these people aren't as attractive as they were. <laughs> oh, yeah. When I there's showed up spread. in September, there's yes. a little something going Those on actors here. get littler and everyone yes, else gets bigger. Else gets bigger. Exactly. Less room at the table. All exactly. Just to just sort of put it, put a pin on in this conversation where did you get an agent through the Disney program did it come afterwards before well not before uh right around the time we were ending the program okay. yeah and were they helpful in that was that part of the I reason I honestly can't them? remember I think one of the uh no I know exactly how it happened one of the writers uh in the program with me did get staffed immediately on a on a Disney show, mm -hmm. and he introduced me to a couple of agents that he had uh, met with, okay. and I ended up going with one of them. Oh, okay, um, so they didn't, you know. I think that had I stuck around, a, you know, had it taken a little bit longer, <laughs> they probably would have been helpful. But I didn't sure. need to rely on them. Okay. Uh, and the same question uh, for you, Caroline. I didn't ask. Did you have a writer, uh, an agent, based on that first writing assignment? How did it? it come yeah, about? yeah. My memory. I I'd gotten someone. I went to the college alumni database and just started searching. Really? And I found someone. Yes, that way. Yes. Funny. Mm -hmm. Did it? Was it like a scattershot approach of sending? I out wrote material? to a few of them, and it was yeah. And I sent material to a few, and mm -hmm. he was someone who wrote back. Wow. You yeah. like you're like that river that's like unsolicited <laughs> material all over the place. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> this is like my first book is about a stalker. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> but um, in a nice way. <laughs> but this is, I mean, this comes up a lot, and it's a question that I think a lot of listeners have, and they ask me about unsolicited material. Don't, like... Yeah. I mean, you are the exception that would like, don't ever do it. Right. And especially directly to writers. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting. I've told people, like, we can't read. If you write to someone, like, write about them. Like, show that you're writing to them Mm -hmm. for a reason. Like, Mm -hmm. I love, like, now there's an alumni program, and sometimes you get that email from someone who they they just go on about themselves. They don't say why they're talking to you. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, that was my thing. I wanted to learn from someone, Mm -hmm. and I was like, this person, I think, would be interested in me, not just, like, here I am to, you know, it's like, because no one needs you. You have to, like, show that you're that there might be a connection there Mm -hmm. Um, did you say you're right working on a pilot now Uh, yeah yes okay we don't have to talk about it but what i'm curious to hear about (laughs) is um now having a few novels under your belt what has changed in your writing for television has that taught you anything absolutely yeah absolutely i think it's more that like i wrote the first two books three books and then i've spent a couple weeks in the u room Mm -hmm. and that was fascinating Mm -hmm. because just seeing the way, like like you said, like the way a room has worked out, like they'd all been in there for months. So to walk in and see the dynamic and the thought process and the way that things are worked out, I found that when I was writing my next novel, I felt so much more empowered at having conversations with myself hmm. because so often like when you're writing a book and it's just months on end alone, it's like, I can't figure it out. I will watch TV for five hours. Mm-hmm. And, like, and sometimes that works, but it was mm-hmm. that in the room I got self-conscious because I feel like I kept saying, I'm going to think about that while everyone else is like thinking on their feet. Yeah. (laughs) So learning to like take advantage of that time, I think that was powerful. Mm -hmm. But then writing the pilot on my own is, yeah, it's just back to square one. Is it? I mean, does it feel that way for you guys? Like on a new show, on a new pilot, on something, does it always feel like starting Starting fresh? Yeah, Yeah, you're starting over, but I mean, you have a bit of a head start. but, But yeah. It, it's always so how do you over. push through? I am that person who I'm just like when I finish something it's like okay I'm gonna start the next thing it's like how the fuck did I do this the last time <laughs> yes <laughs> how yeah. did the like how did I do this oh god so how it's you- like late at night when you're like I, can, I will never write again I don't know how to do it I don't know how to do it and then you sleep and then yeah, I'm like, it's, oh, yeah. it's, it's always fine but it's, it is a thing where it's like okay right. I've finished this wow and I'm gonna get notes and I'm gonna you know adjust but then it's like okay new thing ah shit right mm-hmm. and there uh, there's no way to apply the Thing, the, the it, knowledge I now have to this yeah. thing because nope. it is a, an and entirely new animal. And it feels like animal. there should be, but it, yeah. No. <laughs> um, so how do you, is it just the knowledge that I'm going to go through this process again that sort of pushes you through the new uh, material? Pretty much. I mean, having done it so many times, it's not exactly like getting back on the bicycle. It is the getting mm-hmm. on. That's the problem. It's like yeah. Yeah. Once you start then you sort of fall back into your flow. But yeah. every yeah. single time yeah. it's like, oh, wait a minute, this has characters? <laughs> I think there are characters yes. in it. They live somewhere. You know, yeah. it's painful right. every single time. Um, I want to talk about, I haven't talked about this in a while on the podcast, but the sort of the ins and outs of the practical writing. Like when you are writing something, uh, less so when it's for a show that you're working for, more when it's for a pilot or something, what does your day look like? What does your writing process look like? How long does it take? Do you give yourself a page count? Do you give yourself a time limit? Um, whoever whoever wants to jump in. I My process has been different kind of every time. It's like one of my favorite pilots I wrote because I was incredibly frustrated with the job mm-hmm. that I was on. So like that would be my reward and my recharge at the end of the day. I would go home and it's like, okay, I had no blueprints. I was like, I just wrote down three scenes. It's like, these are the three scenes that I'm going to do. And wow. I just did that every day until I had a pilot. Interesting. Um, was it a story that you 
had been, you know, sort of thinking about or was it something that just showed up and you felt it was a story that i've been thinking about for a while and it was also what it helped because it was like it is it was a book that i'd read and i'm like i've fallen in love with it i'm like you know what fuck it i'm not even gonna wait till i have the rights i'm just gonna do it for myself wow um and it made me happy Mm -hmm. um and it got me through that awful season which is kind of amazing like when you have a bad experience on a show you just often want to come home and watch tv or mm -hmm. like be with your spouse or whatever it is that but not right no i was like i am going to create a world that i enjoy being in (laughs) that's great and then for the other the pilot that was personal it was basically it's like a lot of stuff from my life Mm -hmm. with whore added into it um and i Um, like if you know on twitter you'll see me it's like i like to handwrite things a lot of times so i i will buy i love pencils and i have like my pencil sharpener and my notepads uh and i will just like write down the scenes that i know in no Mm -hmm. particular order and then rework them like when i have like 30 or a couple it's like and then rework them in order and then just continue writing and continue writing until i fill it in and then sometimes it's like i've started handwriting outlines um, so by the time I get to script, it's, yeah. I don't want to say it's a breeze, but. No, like, but it's yeah. been through a, oh, few, yeah. a few versions of this thing. That's interesting to me. I mean, the version where you just start writing scenes, do you have the big picture in your head? Usually, usually I need like a beginning and an end mm-hmm. and then I can fill in the middle. It's like, as long as I know mm-hmm. where I'm going, it's like. I can fill in the story. If I don't have an ending, then I'm going to like take time until I know what it is. So once I got the ending, I was like, aha, that is the ending. This is the beginning scene. And I write to music a lot. And it's Mm -hmm. like I, as a kid, uh, I grew up on a farm. And so a lot of my time was spent by myself. And I had like television and movies. And so I... I love movies and I love trailers in particular. <laughs> I was that kid who was like, when we were going to theaters, like we have to get there on time so we can get the popcorn and we can see the trailers. Like I was <laughs> yep. that asshole. Uh, and so I would tend to like listen to music and think of scenes in terms of movie trailers. Mm-hmm. And oh, so like I do that for television as well as like when I'm listening to music, it's like, okay, that's what this scene is going to be. And this like, as I'm listening and thinking like scenes will pop into my head and then sometimes like a song will lead to another thing. Hmm. Or there are times where it's like, I know, I have this scene in my head. Fuck, I need a song. And so then sure. I'm like, I need to soundtrack it. <laughs> I do. And then part of it is like, it is, it's procrastinating, but it's also part of the process sure. where I'm just like going through my iTunes. And like, I, f- I remember um, for the pilot that I wrote, that was like kind of my own stuff, like mm-hmm. my life with horror. Um, I could not get around like this really emotional scene that I needed to write until I put on um, Light of the Seven from Game of Thrones. It's like it's the scene where uh, Cersei blows up the Sept. Spoiler alert. Um, But it fit perfectly. That's so funny. And so I just put it on loop and I just kept listening to it and listening to it until I'd written the scene. Mm -hmm. Do you listen to uh, music with lyrics? Yes. You do? I listen to everything. I know a lot of people find that hard to write to. Nope. You're into it. Nope. Uh, and what do you think that writing with a pencil and paper, uh, you know, doing that, having that physical act, what do you, how is that different for you? Why, what is that giving you that just typing out a scene doesn't? I find I have to like slow down and think things through. Hmm. Otherwise I'm also like a weird little bit OCD perfectionist. So sometimes if I think of something and I need to go back, I'll erase it. Like <laughs> I leave lots of spaces so that I can, cause I also need my notepads to look neat. This is amazing. <laughs> I love it. This is all on Twitter. People can see this. Um, I don't think I've ever like tweeted a page of my outline, but yes, maybe someday I will. It's um, <laughs> yeah, I, I am weird when it comes to 
writing, but yeah, it is. I'm also, it's like, it's not the strain on your eyes. It's not just staring at a blinking cursor. That's true. Um, you don't have to be at a desk necessarily. No. Although, are you? Where do you make yourself kitchen, comfortable? Usually kitchen table. Uh, if I'm writing, it's like pad in front of me, hunched over. Though I actually bought a new kitchen table, which is like very conducive to writing. And it was why I bought it. It's <laughs> great. Yeah, I sat down. I'm like, oh, so my arms are at 90 degrees with this chair. Yes. I, this is something in the minutia of writing that I love that like we have these specific things, right? It helps you. It helps shorten the time between sitting down and mm -hmm. actually doing the work. If you can put these things into place. Jackie, what are these things for you? Uh, I also start with pencil and paper. You do? Wow. Absolutely. Yeah. If I'm writing on a show, maybe mm. not so much. But mm. if it's original, yeah, always yeah. pencil and paper. If you're not paper. under the, the time constraint. Yeah, I always start with pencil and paper. Um, I noticed recently, I hadn't paid attention to before, I have to wash my hands before I start. I don't know what that is. <laughs> awesome. Some strange OCD thing. <laughs> like, I'll be sitting there, oh, it's wait, I have start. an idea. Go <laughs> wash my hands and then go back and start. Um, I love it. You want to keep the pen or pencil pure. Uh, that, that must be it. Don't bring that old garbage. <laughs> no, yes. no, no, no. Clean hands. Uh, uh, so when in, in writing the, on the uh, pad, mm -hmm. are you outlining? Are you writing scenes? Like what, what form does it generally take? Uh, well, I usually start with the characters. Okay. You know, I always start with the characters and figure out kind of like who they are. Um, and then I'll do a very quick kind of beat sheet, basically like a scene mm -hmm. outline, like, mm -hmm. okay, so they're in the kitchen and it's the mom and the daughter and they're talking about this. And the next time we're going to with the dad and the son and they're doing this. And so just line that mm -hmm. out. And then um, if it's just for a spec or for myself, I really don't go that much further into an outline until I get stuck. Mm -hmm. That's right. And then if I get stuck, I'll go back and say, okay, I really need to work mm -hmm. this out to figure out how they get from A to B. Mm -hmm. um, but sometimes it'll just come. Yeah. And yeah. and yeah, you do have that luxury. Yeah, uh, and then pretty much every day I start over, meaning if I get to page seven, I'll start again at page one, and so I'm rewriting really? as mm -hmm. I write. I yeah. never like just pick back up on page yeah. seven and go to eight. I always have to. Have you ever tried it? That I hear it both ways. Have you ever tried it just to like kind of write through? <laughs> I no, can't. It's hard. I have to go back and make sure that yeah. okay that. Even Can, if it's just, you know, small little word changes, I always have to yeah, I would imagine rewrite as I write. The, the problem with that is you could get bogged down in the work you did the day before. Yeah. So how do you avoid that? Um, I don't know that I get bogged down like that. You know, if it, the only reason I would get bogged down is if it didn't work. Mm -hmm. If somehow, or I came up with something on page 15 that I needed to... Oh, that should have happened earlier, you know that sort of thing. But again, that's just part of the rewriting process. Sure. I don't really yeah. uh, kind of second guess like that until I've got the whole thing done. Right. Then you second <laughs> I've guess got the whole thing, yeah, and then everything <laughs> sucks, and so you have to start over again. But yeah. um, in the character part, when you're sort of putting down notes for that, what does that look like? Is it lists? Is it you know how specific do you get? How vague do you get? Is it big ideas? Um. I'd say it's pretty personal, meaning so I might say, you know, she has a laugh like my cousin Jasmine, you know, something like <laughs> that. Awesome. So it's just for me, you know, when yeah. I write it, it in a, for other people, you know, I'll describe what that is. Right. But uh, yeah, so a lot of it is like that. Sometimes, uh, you know, it's more, I would say, attitude than mm -hmm. personality because I'm, you know, setting characters in opposition. So I want to, I have to understand how they deal with each other. So... 
Yeah, uh, yeah a that little bit, sense. just a little bit of a character bio. And that's a great, it feels like a great trick for sort of creating characters to find that thing, right? That laugh mm-hmm. like my cousin Jasmine is a great specific thing that you know and right. you can, will come across in that script. People right. will read it however they read it, but it's going to be very clear what that character is. Exactly. I think that's a, that's a good thing to keep in mind. Um, Caroline, what does your workday look like when you are writing something for well, yourself? I have a, a book coming out in June, and I just had to sign a few hundred of them. And the signatures do not match, and they don't look like anything. So I'm like, I write in the computer. Like, yes. I wake up, I write. I like the morning more and more. Mm-hmm. I find, like, I especially like when something is new. Just those those mornings to me, like before coffee, before anything, like. I wake up with something to how, thinking about. How it. early are you waking up and writing? When I'm writing a book, like I mean, I just I'm keep saying I'm learning to talk out loud again because I just wrote a book, a draft of it between January and a couple of weeks ago. So <laughs> yeah, my head, You're like, living in that oh, world. Oh, like hello world. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's really just get obsessed with it, and everything I write is from per- first person, so mm-hmm. that helps with that too. It's just sure. the voices like wake me up every couple hours for a few months. <laughs> But now, sure. yeah, now I'll sleep. And yeah, that first draft to me, like, is listening to the character and writing and some days, like, getting to be, like, four o'clock and being like, none of this works. It's not going hmm. to be in the book. But that irritation that comes from that, then to go walk away from it and realize, like, without trying to figure it out, that it's, oh, that's why it didn't work or this is what I was afraid of saying. To me, it's usually trying to make someone more, I don't know, like, acceptable to you than they are necessarily. Hmm. Um Will you work uninterrupted for a big block of time? Yeah, just hours and hours really? and hours. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, and I'm, I'm, it's a, I, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be hunchbacked. <laughs> do you, is there a, a, like a wind up to that process? Like when you, before you start a book, say. Yeah. Um, get very, are you very living grumpy. with it for a while? Living with it and thinking about it and yeah. then get very grumpy and moody. Almost I feel yeah, why like. why is that? Because you <laughs> need that to push yourself over the edge into it. Like also I feel like you're about to sail off on this boat and mm-hmm. with yourself in this thing for months and it's going to be you. Every time I see ads for that movie coming out with the people lost at sea, I'm like, that's writing a book. <laughs> <laughs> that's not wrong. Because you then when you do see friends and you start talking about mm-hmm. it and they're like, who? And they're like, oh no, that's my imaginary friend. Like that's. that's, that's <laughs> Have you guys been able to balance, you know, your life with the writing life? Yes. What do you do? You just make time. Mm-hmm. Like I like to consider myself a disciplined person, so it's like I am when I'm on a show, it's like clearly yeah. I am in my office or if I can be, you know, at home working, but then it's like I have a Saturday. Yeah. Or you know, now that we're getting into some less brunch on Sunday, but I make, I make time for people. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, you know, it's like good friends, yeah, I'll go out to dinner and I'll just like, if I have dinner at seven 30, then I just have to start writing earlier mm-hmm. that day, or I have to hit my goal earlier. Mm-hmm. Like I just can't dick around in the apartment as much as right. I normally would. It's like, <laughs> but I'm going to hit my target and I'm going to go out to dinner with my friends. Jackie, what am I? Well, in? uh, yeah, my husband, Frequently says that there should be a support group for writer spouses. <laughs> he I said, can't but then to do a panel. We should he, have him on. <laughs> saying, but then we one. would we would all run off with each other and leave him <laughs> all alone. So it's probably not a good idea. Um, but yeah, so I don't observe that in myself. Clearly, he does. <laughs> <laughs> You think you're doing great. I'm fine all the time. Perfect. And he's an unreliable narrator. So. Absolutely. Yes. He's, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, he's learned to see that, you know, if I'm curled up in the bed in a fetal position, that's called writing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's what that's it is. True. So writing, you know? Is he in the business? No. 
Yeah, nor is my wife. And it is a thing that I feel like that mm-hmm. they have to, they come to recognize, yes. like, this is part of the process. Right. And she's been amazing about it, and I'm lucky, but you're lucky to find that person. Right? Yeah, yeah, he, he's finally got it after a, a long time. And, he, <laughs> right. uh, and the other thing that he realizes is particularly when running a show, mm-hmm. um, oh, I can't imagine. where you have to literally talk for 12 hours a day, that when I come home, I a, don't want to make any decisions and don't yeah. really want to talk that much. No, so when he says out. something like, "What do you want to eat?" I really do not care. Yes, uh, you know the there should be thing food. He can do is provide a meal, <laughs> and that's it. I yeah. don't literally want to make no decisions yeah. about shoes, hair, food. <laughs> Nothing, you know, because yeah. literally it's make a decision all day long. I hear that. And in so many different realms. And in so many different realms. In every yeah, single realm. That's what's yeah. Was that a difficult thing to learn as a showrunner that like well, that, all of a sudden you, you know, have to make all these decisions? People ask me all the time how the MBA contributes to that. Sure. And particularly, you know, at Harvard, they teach by the case method and every single thing is make a decision. Yes. Mm. And so and as a showrunner that, you know, you're making decisions on obviously the big things like personnel, but, you know, jokes, scenes, mm-hmm. clothes, yeah. mm-hmm. music, you know, all day long. And they're fast decisions. Yeah. You know, it's not like, let me take four days and figure out. No, it's like, boom, 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 boom. Yeah. You know, right or wrong, you have to make it. That's so, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, thank you all for being here. This is fantastic. Um, the time flew by. I want to wrap up by asking you all uh, what you are watching on television these days. What is getting you excited, inspired? What are you talking about at home, uh, in the room that you're in, with your friends? Uh, And Caroline, let's start with you. Um, Lately, I'm really into Billions. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes, My favorite. Really? This season is magical. What is it about the show? Um, God, where did we get? I think... It's really, really surprising. It's that lesson that what you think is going to happen doesn't Mm -hmm. ever seem to happen. And then in the last act, what they do of mixing up the or like the way they reveal things is really well done. And it's such a specific world, the way the language in Mm -hmm. it, the way they speak. That's what I love, where it's like if you walk in the other room, there's no chance that is any show other than Billions. Sure. Mm -hmm. And I think that's That's a a good lesson for any show. Yeah, especially if you watch too much TV. Yeah, (laughs) they start to blend together. Yes. Um, And you have a book coming out in June. Yes, Providence on June 19th. All right. People can check that out. Yeah, I'm a huge Billions fan. Uh, yesterday, I just started watching Killing Eve. Yeah. So I will be leaving here and watching the, <laughs> the next, the last two. Nice. Um, absolutely love that show. Yeah. I keep hearing great things. Yeah. Uh, I haven't gotten into it yet, but I loved Fleabag so much that like, mm-hmm. I'll watch anything she does. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic um, show. Good choice. Akela. Uh, Killing Eve as well. I'm really happy that Brooklyn Nine-Nine <laughs> yeah. is surviving for another season. Uh Silicon Valley, yeah, and The Expanse. Oh, also, Handmaid's Tale, which it's like I've realized there's no good mood to be in when you watch <laughs> that show, so you just have to put it on, and because yeah. it's great, but it's also just like this is fucking depressing. Yeah, yeah. There hasn't been a show like that that I yeah. can recall where it doesn't feel like work, right? It's still, it, but it's not exactly enjoyable to watch. No, it's not. <laughs> it's yeah, so really weird. Thing is that you love it, but you're just like, oh, I can't do yeah. this with you right now. Is it horrible enough I for you to watch Handmaid's Tale? And, yeah. yeah, it's like, you know what? I'm going to make myself feel better. I'm going to watch Handmaid's Tale because we're, we're at that point. But yeah, no, I, I love Handmaid's Tale and Disclosure Alert. I know a lot of those people mm-hmm. over there. Like I worked with Bruce Miller and mm-hmm. Kira Snyder and Dorothy right. Fortenberry on The 100. I'm just oh, really right. proud of all of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you guys so much for being here. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Let's talk again soon. Great. Thank you for listening to the Writers Panel. Tune in next Tuesday and every Tuesday for a brand new episode. And in the meantime, please subscribe and review the Writers Panel on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. 
and follow me on Twitter at Ben Blacker, just like it sounds, and let me know who you want to have on the show. The Writers' Panel is a co-production of the Forever Dog Podcast Network and the ATX Television Festival. You can listen to more Forever Dog podcasts at foreverdogpodcast.com and keep up with the ATX Fest throughout the year at atxfestival.com. Thank you, and see you next week. Well, you'll hear me next week. Thanks for subscribing. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook.